0: You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for March 6, 2022, the first Sunday in Lent. Today's sermon was given by guest preacher Rob Schwartz. It's based on Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. I know I've mentioned this to some of you before, but my running inside joke here with Father Peter is that he's slowly trying to convert me to an Episcopalian, and Not too long ago, he said, well, what do you usually wear when you're up there preaching? And I said, well, you know, I just wear some dress clothes sometimes and a stole. And he said, yeah, but don't you feel like you get up there and you don't have nearly enough layers of clothing on? And after doing the 9 a.m. service outside on this chilly day, I think uh, I might be converted a little bit. So consider me an Episcopalian for the day, at least. My message today begins with a question. Why do you still go to meetings? I was having a conversation a while back and this question caught me off guard. Excuse me? I asked the person. And so the man spoke up again. Well, you seem so much better now. Why do you still go to meetings? I hadn't thought much about it. I mean, a good amount of time had passed since the incident that led me to going to meetings maybe this person had a point. But I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself here. You didn't come here to listen to me talk about the different decisions in my life. You came to hear about Jesus. So let's start there. See, our gospel reading today finds Jesus being led into the wilderness after his baptism, where he heard a voice from heaven say, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you, I am well pleased." No pressure living up to that, right? What what does this mean for Jesus as a person and for his ministry? Well, if you're a lover of superhero movies like myself, this part might sound like your typical origin story, where the hero goes through a series of trials that ultimately shape them into the person they will become or perhaps reveals who they were all along. So after 40 days being tempted in the wilderness, Jesus faces three final tests from the devil. For test number one, a very hungry Jesus, who hasn't eaten this entire time, is challenged to turn a stone into a loaf of bread. This is a pretty low risk thing to ask of Jesus, right? The devil's basically saying, dude, nobody's around, just make yourself something to eat. But by refusing to do this, Jesus teaches us two key things about who he is. One, he trusts in God to provide for him. And two, his life will be defined by serving the needs of others, not just his own. So we're on to test number two now, we're going quick. Jesus is offered authority over all the kingdoms of the world. And all he has to do in return is worship the devil. Through his response that we should worship and serve only God, we again define the character of Jesus and his ministry. He rejects the kind of power that is used to be held over people or subjugate others much like the kind of power associated with the Roman emperor. Instead, he redefines power as something meant to liberate the poor and the oppressed. And now test number three foreshadows what's to come for Jesus. He's taken to Jerusalem, the very place where he will ultimately face his final earthly test in the crucifixion. High atop the temple, the devil challenges Jesus, right? Throw yourself off this building and let God's angels save you. This echoes what we hear later in Luke's gospel as Jesus is atop the cross and he hears three separate times, if you're the Messiah, save yourself. Both atop the temple and atop the cross, Jesus refuses, firm in his belief, that we are supposed to trust rather than test our God. Now this story gives us great insights into who Jesus is, but what always grabbed my attention ever since I was a kid is that we get a showdown between Jesus and the devil. Someone said to me just this past week, I don't even consider this much of a matchup for Jesus. I mean, this is basically the Green Bay Packers facing your local high school football team. And I can buy that. But what about when it's us facing the demons and not Jesus? The odds probably don't favor us quite so heavily. And in February of 2010, I had to face my own demons. See, I had just finished watching a movie at home with my mom when the phone rang. It was my sister-in-law calling to tell us that my brother had fallen out of bed in his sleep and paramedics were on the way to the house. She asked if I could stay over the house with my little niece and nephew while my brother was taken to the hospital. Now, truth be told, this happened a year earlier and he was fine, so I really didn't think too much of it at the time. But this night was different. As I entered the house, I noticed my brother still hadn't woken up, and while I didn't understand what the paramedics were saying to one another, my sister-in-law, a nurse, did react to their words, and so I knew the situation was pretty grave. They moved us into the kitchen, and they brought my brother to the ambulance, and then they told us we should make our way to the hospital. I remember that night so vividly, jumping in my car, speeding through the streets of Milford and just praying, God, I know I have fallen out of faith lately. I know it has been a long time since we spoke, but please let my brother live and I will believe. We all gradually made our way to the hospital. I sat in the waiting room with my stepmom while my parents and my sister-in-law were called away by one of the doctors. And I just sat there in the waiting room internally saying to myself, please God, please God, please God. And then a nearby door opened. And as my dad walked toward us, he uttered four words that shattered my world. He didn't make it. Honestly, everything after that felt like being in a fog. It was like walking around in a dream that I couldn't wake up from. That night, I met the demon called Grief, who said, we better get well-acquainted because I'm going to be a constant passenger in your life. From there, I began to unravel and spiral into self-destructive habits. I didn't want to feel the pain that came with my grief. I thought maybe if I ignored the demon, it would just go away. Of course, that didn't work. I needed a community of support to get me through this. Now, it had been years at that point since I'd gone to church, but my best friend, Melissa, who's now my wife, convinced me church might be helpful. The warm smiles, the friendly faces, the uplifting message, perhaps that is what I needed. And so I agreed to go to the next service that my church had. Unfortunately, at that point in my life, I wasn't really well-versed in the holy days of the church year. And when I heard they were having a Good Friday service, I thought, Good Friday? Good Friday seems just like the pick-me-up I need right now. (laughs) No one told me the whole thing centered around Jesus dying on a cross. And of all years, that year, our pastor chose to really drive home the somber mood of the occasion. It was depressing, to say the least. But it brought me face to face with the reality of death and grief that I had been trying so hard to ignore all that time. Perhaps even more than that, though, it was a reminder that the story continued even after this grim occasion. So that's my story. And there's a good chance at this point some of you are thinking, who the heck invited this killjoy? I was having such a lovely Sunday morning And now this story is going to play in my head all through brunch. Thanks a lot. For those of you feeling this way, I really, truly apologize. But if this story connects with just one person here who says, I also lost someone close to me, a friend, a parent, a sibling, a child, and I feel tested by it every single day. Or there's someone out there battling other demons like addiction, illness, mental health, racism, sexism. If this story lets just one person know that they're not suffering alone, that might be worth a little Sunday morning discomfort. See, here's what I believe. Whether you're battling your demons for 40 days or 40 years, the story doesn't have to end there. Not only did I get support from my church, but I also found a grief support group and met others like me who also lost a sibling. And over time, I did arrive at a much healthier place. This is what led to someone asking me that day, why do you still go to meetings? He seemed so much better now. But battling the demon wasn't the end of the story. And it wasn't for Jesus either. After his time in the wilderness, the second half of this chapter that wasn't read today, shows Jesus meeting others who are battling demons of their own and helping them to cast these demons out. Is this something we can chalk up to him being the Son of God is this kind of the power that comes with that whole package? Or is it possible that Jesus was able to help people face their demons because he knew what it was like to face his own? Theologian Rita Nakashima Brock says that to have faced our demons is never to forget the power to hurt and to forget the power to heal that lies in touching brokenheartedness. To heal is to be capable of relationships of power because we have faced our own pain and despair. Just as Jesus' trials in the wilderness revealed things about him, our own trials reveal who we are and who we have yet to become. This is the very thing we witness in support groups all the time, whether they're for grief, addiction, mental health, divorce, or any other struggle we're going through. Those who have struggled come out the other side and guide newcomers who are just beginning to face their demons, until one day those newcomers become guides themselves. And both sets of people in this equation need one another. Because the demons are never truly gone. At the end of our Gospel reading, Jesus doesn't vanquish the devil. Luke just writes that the devil disappeared and went away until an opportune time. We don't hear about him again until much later when it says that he went into Judas to betray Jesus. So that means all through Jesus' ministry, the devil is just quietly waiting and sitting there in the background, biding his time. But like many people today, Jesus first faced his demon alone and then found a group of people willing to journey alongside him. In the denomination I come from, the United Church of Christ, there is an old Gracie Allen quote that we like to use a lot. Never place a period where God has placed a comma. Whatever you've faced or whatever you're facing now in life, there is more story to be written. It's never too late to become the healed or the healer. Amen.